As we read through the New Testament, we often read about Paul. And in conjunction with Paul, we read about some missionary journeys, trips to various places. But as you look at all the places that Paul went, as we think about the years that Paul traveled, have you ever stopped to ask how many miles the Apostle Paul probably traveled? Or how many approximate miles he traveled for the sake of Jesus Christ? If you've never done that, you might want to do that at some time. And if you do engage in that process, you might be surprised at how many miles we can estimate that Paul traveled. If you begin tallying everything up, it seems the Apostle Paul traveled about 10,000 miles for the sake of Christ. Now, can you imagine that 2,000 years ago? Someone who was traveling about 10,000 miles without a car, without a plane, sometimes with ships that were precarious, sometimes walking, sometimes maybe riding a camel. Uh, They didn't have the roads like we have. Certainly they did not have the kind of footwear that we have, didn't have the kind of protection that we have from the elements. Well, as we think about Paul's journeys, we could go a lot of different places. But this morning, as we think about the maybe 10,000 or so miles they traveled, I want to look at a very specific place, Thessalonica. From the book of Acts, we're going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 17 in a bit. Now, back in Acts chapter 16, we have some information about Paul. He, of course, was uh, with Silas, and they were jailed for preaching the gospel. It was in Philippi, Acts 16, that Paul and Silas had been imprisoned, and these fellows were able to baptize the jailer. Before they left, they were able to baptize the jailer's family. And then Luke tells us in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas, they were released from prison. Then as we move from Acts 16 to Acts 17, in Acts 17 verse 1, the text tells us that Paul and Silas, they began to travel to some additional places. Then they finally came to the city known as Thessalonica. Well, a little later in the Bible we have, obviously, a couple of letters written to the Thessalonians or the people of Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians. As we look at Acts 17, Luke tells us that there was a synagogue. There was a place for the Jewish people uh, to come together to study the law, to learn about things, and um, that was a synagogue in Thessalonica. Now, Paul went to this Jewish synagogue. Acts chapter 17 says that he went into the synagogue for three Sabbath days. And as he went into this synagogue at Thessalonica, he began to reason with the people. Well, today our lesson is going to just extract some brief points from Acts chapter 17, and here is the first point. As we think about talking to people today concerning God, the gospel, uh, I believe that each one who's here wants to do that. We live in a society right now where we like things to be quick. Want to get to work? Well, let's drive a car because that's quicker. Want to get across the country to visit somebody? Let's check out airplane rates because that's quicker. Uh, if we need something in a hurry, McDonald's is closed or the microwave is quick. Whatever we can do to make it fast. When it comes to evangelism, I fear that we fall into that same trap. Even preachers, in studying the Bible with somebody, we might say, well, you know, we've got a Bible study scheduled with him or her or this family, and we'd like to all wrap it up in an hour. And that might be nice if that really worked, that we could, within 60 minutes, communicate to someone, perhaps someone who has very little Bible knowledge, this is what Christianity is about, this is what you need to do, and after 60 minutes, the person says, I get it, I understand, I want to be saved, and I've got it all sorted out. Well, generally, it doesn't work like that. And we might spend some additional time with the person. It might run into that second hour or that second week or that third hour or that third week or maybe we're into the second month, maybe we're into the third month. As we look at Acts chapter 17, we find that Paul was an inspired man. His teaching, his preaching, they were inspired. The things that he wrote that we have contained today, they are inspired. And yet, even though this fellow was inspired, even though he was able to perform miraculous works, 
He goes into Thessalonica. He finds people who were religious. They were meeting in the Jewish synagogue. And he still has to use three Sabbath days to present the gospel to them. As Paul is in the synagogue with the Jewish people, the Bible says that he began to reason with people. Once again, we live in a time where it is a quick pace. And sometimes people say, well, I just don't have the time to think that through. That's going to take too much time. I don't want to reason through anything. Just, just sum it up for me. Well, we need to make sure that we take enough time to lay things out and lay them out in the best way that we can. We also, as we think about this expression that Paul was reasoning with people, we see from this expression that it is now our job to try to reason, to try to logically sort through some information with people when it comes to God and spiritual matters. But we know, or we should know, that not everybody in our day and time is going to have an interest in reasoning or being reasonable. Thessalonica, though, gives us an example. It gives us a great example as far as patience. To go and begin talking with people to realize that it may take a while to convert them. A lot longer since we lack some things like miraculous gifts. But still, to begin the process and to persist, whether that takes days, weeks, months, years, or maybe decades. As we try to engage in that process and influence and teach people, and it extends to young people as well. They grow up given enough time, and we need to reason with them throughout the early years. Some may listen, some may not. I do some things on the web, on the net, and last week, in a fairly public way, I had a man come out and basically say I was a false teacher. I suspect this fellow saw some information that I had posted uh, in more than one place, and from what I can tell, he believes in faith-only salvation. When some information was put out there concerning baptism, he said in a, a very public way uh, that I can't take down, I can respond to it, uh, but he basically came out and said I'm a false teacher. I responded to that criticism by saying if you think that some information has been put out there that's contrary to the Bible, uh, we would appreciate a biblical response back as far as pointing out where the error is. And he replied once again in a very public way, and I, I can't affect or change his response. He said, correcting the errors that you teach would take more time than I have. So that's kind of where that discussion ended, and I suspect that it's going to sit in a place where a lot of people can see it and consider what he said, as well as consider my response. Acts 17, today, as we try to teach the truth about God's word, some are going to accept it, and some are not. Our job, though, is to sow the seed of the gospel. And if that seed falls on some bad ground, that's not our fault. God has said, sow the seed. We pray, we try to get it into the best ground that we can, we try to water that, but we're going to find varying responses, just as we see from Acts 17. First verse I want to read from this chapter is Acts 17.4. And some, key word, and some of them were persuaded and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. There were some people at Thessalonica who were interested. There were some people apparently who were willing to obey because we know First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, those letters were written to Christians. But not everyone was persuaded by what the apostle tried to teach. And I think as Paul faced on this occasion some people who would not believe during that 10,000 mile journey or so that he made, it had to be a discouraging thing. To encounter people that he taught them from the scriptures, maybe used miraculous signs, he gave it his all. And yet even though he was an inspired man at the end of the day, just like Jesus, there were some people who did not believe. Back in the book of Romans chapter 9 verse 3, Paul shows us what kind of heart he had. He said, brethren, my heart, my desire is for Israel that they might be saved. In fact, he said, I wish that I could be cut off from God if it meant that they would 
find salvation. Paul had a desire to help people. He loved the lost. He wanted to help the lost. And seeing people reject Christ, seeing people reject the water of life, was surely a sad thing for this man. Such should also be true for us. Various times in life come up where people say, that's so sad, that's so discouraging, you must be distressed. But I'd like to suggest the saddest thing that we are ever going to see, the saddest thing we're ever going to experience in life is to look at an individual, maybe someone that we try to teach, maybe someone that's near and dear to us and they refuse to accept, or they refuse to continue following the gospel of Christ. I would submit that there is no natural disaster anywhere on the planet that is worse than someone who rejects Christ. I would suggest that there is no act of terror, even if it kills tens of thousands, that is worse than someone rejecting the gospel of Christ. There is no life, there is no limb that's lost that's worse than seeing someone who rejects the Christ. Thessalonica reminds us, it encourages us to reason with people, to try to talk to people as they live out their lives on the earth because souls are important. We're spending some time in this Sunday morning with a um, Bible school lesson that we're looking at. Yesterday we had some information about this in our vacation Bible school. The souls of the lost are so important, we've got to do our best to make sure that our message is heard. Sticking with Acts 17, but backing up a bit, let's see what we have in verse 3. Opening and alleging that it behooved the Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead. And that this Jesus whom said he, I proclaim unto you, he is the Christ. As Paul came to Thessalonica, he wasn't on the defensive. This man went on the offensive. He went to the synagogues, the Bible says he opened. He alleged. He went out and he began to affirm some things. He certainly was a great defender of the faith, but Paul didn't decide that he was going to sit back for those 10,000 miles and just wait for people to come to him, that he would wait for questions and objections to be raised. Paul said, I'm coming to you. You know, this congregation, if we think back over the last 10 or 12 years, we have gone into Elkhart County on multiple occasions and we have knocked literally thousands of doors in this community. Now, I know that door knocking is not something that everybody likes. Maybe they're not real comfortable with doing that. But I will tell you this. Door knocking is one way to go out and reach into the lives of people. Now, they may not appreciate it very much. Uh, Usually, in this area, we don't get a bad response. But our attitude needs to be, if you're not coming to us, we're coming to you. Because this this is information that you need. Now, you may choose to reject it, but at least you need to be exposed to it. Being on the defensive is right. It is necessary at times, but it's not enough. And sometimes I think we can leave ourselves in a position where that's the conclusion that we draw. As long as we're willing to defend the faith if somebody asks, we're okay. Well, that's good, that's important, but it's not enough. We might also say that in the truest sense, a defense of Christianity is not a true defense. A real defense is, as we see in Acts chapter 17, it's also trying to reach out. It's also trying to, well, if you be the aggressor. Thessalonica encourages us to do our best to sow that seed, to let our light shine and to reach into the lives of people as fully as possible. Notice as we think about Acts chapter 17, what we find in verse 5. But the Jews, Paul was trying to reach out, and now Luke says, the Jews being moved with jealousy, took unto them certain vile fellows of the rabble, and gathering a crowd, set the city in an uproar. And assaulting the house of Jason, they sought to bring them forth to the people. As Paul was opening and alleging, as he was trying to reach out into the lives of people and tell them about the Christ, the Messiah, There were some individuals who got angry today. God's word is still going to anger some folks. 
It's going to anger some family members in almost every case. It's going to anger some of our friends. It's going to upset some of our co-workers. It's going to upset some people in school. In fact, I would be bold enough to say that it is almost impossible to find a subject in the Bible which is not going to anger at least one person. Now, if you think that's difficult, let me toss out a couple of examples. Somebody says, well, the love of God, how could anybody be angry about that? John 3.16, how could anybody not love that verse? God is love. He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Atheists reject God, don't they? You think John 3.16 is going to anger an atheist? It will. Because that is a verse that affirms the existence of God. Somebody says, well, you know, we're here on the first day of the week. Surely nobody would argue. Nobody would get upset about worshiping on the first day of the week. Yes, they will. You find some people who believe that the seventh day, Saturday, is the proper day for worship. So they're going to be offended. The agnostic, the person that says we can't know anything. Faith is objectionable to the agnostic. Because that says we can know what we believe. We've got faith. One God. Somebody says, well, surely nobody's going to object to one God. Talk to a Hindu. And say there is one God. The only way a Christian can avoid not offending someone is really by staying silent about God and the Bible. And that's what society really wants us to do. Keep your faith to yourself, society says, and everybody's going to be satisfied. Just don't say a peep and we'll all get along. But if we're a Christian, that's something we can't do. Paul didn't do it. In those 10,000 or so miles, the Lord said we can't do that. Verse 6 in Acts chapter 17 says that fellows like the Apostle Paul, as they went out and they began to deal with people, they turned the world upside down. They weren't seeking political overthrows. They were not looking for political office. But that message, they were willing to defend it. But they were also willing to take that message to the world and communicate it. Many years ago, Teresa and I went to visit a family that we did not know very well. The mother in the family was coming to services. Every once in a while, the husband did not seem all that interested. So we went out to the house. We were, um, I guess, only invited there the once. We went out to the house and we were invited to a special room in the house. They said, this is where we receive our guests. And in that room, I can still remember to this day that it had a football theme. The walls, as you looked around the room, all you could see were items associated with this specific football team. I believe we were offered a glass of something that night, water, iced tea, lemonade. And if I remember correctly, the logo of that team was on the glasses. The carpet in this room, the only time I've ever seen carpet like this, the carpet in this room had a picture of uh, the football team's logo, the emblem. And the carpet was dyed in the colors for the football team. If we could have gone through the family's closets, I believe we would have found some socks for the football team. There surely would have been some shirts, jackets, jerseys, those kinds of things. I would not have been surprised to have learned that this family had season tickets for this football team. You see, when this family... And this football team came together, they were in. They were fully in. What's the cost? Doesn't matter. Does it really go with the decor? Doesn't matter. This is our football team. And we're going to talk about our football team. We're going to participate as fully as we can in the team. We are in all the way. When it comes to Christians like Paul, what do we find? He was in. And he was in all the way. 10,000 miles, not the best footwear, not the best transportation in the world. Paul says, it does not matter. I'm in all the way. Some may accept the message. Some may reject the message. It does not matter. We, as we go through our lives many years later, also need to be in and in all the way. 
There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's an old story, old preacher story about a soldier who was shot in battle. And it was the kind of wound where the doctor had to go in and dig out the bullet. The bullet had lodged deeply in this man's chest. And as that doctor was digging further and further and further into the man's chest, the wounded man finally said to the doctor, if you go any deeper, you're going to come to the emperor. Not literally. But what was he saying? This fellow was saying, I'm so committed that if you get down there, you're going to find at my core, the emperor. I will give my life for it. There is nothing more important to me than the emperor, and if that requires a sacrifice, my limb, my life, so be it. Then back in 1964, there was another military illustration. There uh, were some Indonesians that were being engaged in the battle, and there were some soldiers as they were preparing to participate in this battle. They were asked if they would jump from an airplane and fight the Indonesians. Now there was a communication gap. As these Indonesians heard that, they were kind of looking at that airplane way up there in the sky. I don't know how many thousands of feet they may be up there, but they're way up there. And the Indonesians uh, were thinking, or the fellows fighting the Indonesians, they were thinking, wow, that plane up there, they're asking us to jump from there to there? And they didn't say no. They said, uh, could you just drop it down to 100 feet and maybe maybe find a swamp and let us jump out there? And they said, well, now, now wait a minute. Your parachutes are not going to open. Oh, we get parachutes? <laughs> fellas were willing to jump from an airplane without a parachute. Because they loved their country. Now we think about our love for Christ. Thessalonica is a place where we see dedication. Paul said, as we look at his life, I'm willing to serve. You go deep enough and you're going to find Christ. He showed that externally and internally. And this is a lesson, especially for our day and time, that needs to be taught for both the young and the old. If holding on to our faith as we look at our current life, if that means that we're going to be criticized, if that means that we're going to be persecuted, then our attitude needs to be bring it on. If serving Christ means that we're going to try to reason with people who are rebellious to the truth, so be it. If serving Christ means that we're going to have extra wear and tear on our physical bodies, think what Paul's life might have been like had he not had to travel those 10,000 miles. So if there's extra wear and tear on our body because we are a Christian, so be it. We're using it in a good way. If following Jesus means enduring false charges, verse 7 of Acts chapter 17, that's okay. Our Lord endured that kind of thing and we can as well. If our choice is to stand up for Christ or sit down every single time, we need to decide that we're going to stand up. If we're asked to make a decision to speak up or shut up about the Lord, every time our choice needs to be, we're going to speak up instead of shut up. As we look at America and the current state of things, our current culture is conducive to silencing Christians and destroying the faith of the Bible. Every week, there are what I think of as faith fatalities. People who were headed towards serving Christ. People who may have served Christ for a short time or a long period of time and because of pressure from the world, they cave in. And to one degree or another, they quit. Some partially turn from the faith. Others completely abandon or forsake the faith. And as we look at Paul, we have here an example, especially as we think about Thessalonica, you cling to the faith. You hold to the faith regardless of the cost. There is no cost that's too high. 
There is nothing that the world can do to us that should cause us to turn from Him. Like the soldier that was being worked on by the doctor, Christ needs to be at the core of who we, of who we are. We're not called to jump from an airplane. But were that the case, then our attitude would need to be, Lord, you tell us when to leave, and we'll go. Thessalonica is a place that reminds us to entrust Christ with everything that we have, to offer Him all that we have. And are we someone who has made that kind of commitment? That we've looked to Christ, the Hebrew writer talks about focusing our eyes on Jesus. He's the author, He's the finisher, He's the perfecter, He's the captain, He is our leader. And we turn to Christ as a Christian and we say, I will not turn back. World, do to me what you may. Persecute us, harass us, take what I have, but under no circumstance whatsoever will I renounce my Lord or turn back. No wonder Jesus will say to the faithful at the end of the time, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those words will make everything worth it. But to be among those people, we've got to be someone that is willing to commit, willing to stand up for the Lord regardless of the cost, and say, till I reach my dying breath, I will commit to you and not turn back. Is that the choice that we've made? Have we become a Christian? Faith, repentance, confession, baptism? Many start out well and continue on for a while, but turn back. If we're not yet on the road, let's make that commitment today. Become a Christian and start living in the right way. If we have made that commitment and for some reason we become slack or lax in some areas, Paul Thessalonica reminds us to come back and say, God, you're with, you're uh, worth everything that we have and we're going to be with you all the way. If we need to correct something in our spiritual relationship with God to become a Christian, to restore the life that God wants us to live or we have another need, we let us know what that is. And please do that now as we stand and sing the selected song.